Well, good morning, everybody. We are in week number three of our series where we're going verse by verse through the book of Jonah. Over the last few weeks, Webby has uh, repeatedly continued to reiterate that, like Jonah, we have been called and we can't run from it. We can't run from disciple-making. That's what we've been called to do. And aside from bringing glory to God, that's why the church exists, to make disciples. And we can't ignore it. We can't dismiss it. And we can't pawn it off on anybody else. Jonah ran from his calling. He didn't care much for Nineveh. He didn't care about the Ninevites. They were ruthless. They were brutes. They were barbarians. And if we were to you know, if we had the ability to ask Jonah, he'd probably just tell us, you know, he would just assume that they get the punishment that they deserved. You know, the, they'd earned discipline, they'd earned destruction, and, and Jonah would probably just rather they receive it. And maybe there are people in your life or a, a group of people where you kind of feel the same way that Jonah did. But consider the words of the Apostle Peter. He said, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessings because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Our calling to make disciples doesn't permit us to run from people, but inspires us to run towards them. If we're honest, though, we have a default setting in us to run. Right? Think about it, right? right? Like, um, from the time that your child is old enough to walk, he will either wander or he will run. Right? I mean, if you had kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you sit them down on the couch, and you'll say, don't move, and you'll look away for a second, and the next thing they go, they, they vanished. Right? Or, or you're in the grocery store, you're in the Walmart, whatever, and, and maybe you pick up a, a bag of Oreos to look at the nutrition facts as if the nutrition facts on Oreos have changed overnight. And you look around and your kid has suddenly vanished. And there's no universe in which you could get your kid to be that quiet while his brother or sister is taking a nap. But you go to Walmart and you say, stay here, don't move, and instantly they become little Houdinis, right? They, they are ninjas and they can just vanish and you don't know where they're going. That's life. Right? As soon as your kid, your child is old enough to walk, he will either wander or he will run. And the thing is, it's our job as parents to pursue our kids. We see this modeled for us brilliantly by our Heavenly Father in the book of Jonah. Jonah runs, and God pursues him. God chases after him. Louis Giglio says, The God who creates everything and needs nothing pursues you. Don't let anyone sell you less worth than that. The God who creates everything and needs nothing, pursues you. Don't let anyone sell you less worth than that. Now, we might be inclined to believe this on our best days, but it is no less true on our worst days. And with that in mind, I want to jump into Jonah chapter 3. Verse 1 begins this way. It says, 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. What we see here in the beginning of chapter 3, specifically in verse 1, where the word of the Lord comes to Jonah again, is that God is the God of second chances. Jonah messed up, but God continued to show up. He chased after Jonah when he tried to run from his calling. Think about David, the greatest king in the history of Israel. David, he broke all the Ten Commandments, but he broke half of them in a single afternoon. Okay? But that didn't stop God from chasing after David. Jesus ate breakfast with Peter after Peter had denied even knowing him multiple times. And after they finished eating breakfast together, you remember what happened? Jesus invited Peter to follow him faithfully until the day that he died. Because God is the God of second chances. You can ask Zacchaeus. You could ask the woman who was caught in adultery. You could ask the Apostle Paul. Or you could read it for yourself in black and white. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the sovereign Lord. Repent and live. Maybe you have been on the run for a while. Maybe you've royally messed up. And there's just no denying it. You can't get out of it. It's, it's true. Remember, even when we mess up, God continues to show up because he's the God of second chances. The same way that Jesus recommissioned Peter, Jonah was recommissioned by God. If you submit to him, you can be used by God as well. Now notice how God describes in verse 2 the city of Nineveh. He calls Nineveh the great city. But that begs the question, like, what's so great about Nineveh? I mean, from our vantage point, it doesn't seem to be all that attractive or all that appealing. What's so great about Nineveh? And in fact, like, are there, are there cities that you wouldn't be caught dead in today? I mean, maybe, I don't know, San Francisco, New York City, Kabul, Chicago. Did you know this? In Chicago in 2021 alone... There have been 524 murders. 524 murders in one year in one city alone. On top of that, there have been 2,344 shootings in Chicago in 2021. The Chicago Tribune reported just a couple weeks back over the Labor Day holiday that 65 people were shot and six died. I mean, cities can be dark, dangerous places. But the people in those cities, people in these dark, dangerous places, they still need the gospel. Though the Ninevites were thoroughly wicked, Nineveh was a leading city in one of the most powerful nations on the planet. They needed a word from God. Verse 3, 
says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, we can't really say that Jonah's attitude had changed, but his actions certainly had. C.S. Lewis once wrote, die before you die, there's not a chance after. Jonah had gotten to the place where he died to himself and he was ready to obey the will of the Lord, even when it conflicted with his own. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, the prophet Samuel is, is having a conversation with, with King Saul, all right? the, the most import, arguably the most important guy in the entire nation. And, and, and Samuel says this, he says, Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the offering of fat, or excuse me, than offering the fat of rams. Now, I've got to be honest, like, it would be absolutely wonderful for those who claim to be Christians to take this sentiment to heart. In my humble opinion, there is a far more deadly pandemic enveloping the globe than COVID-19, and that is the disease of disobedience. People will claim to love and follow Jesus, but refuse to submit to his will or obey his commands. Jonah had spent three days in the belly of hell. And even if it hadn't changed his attitude toward the Ninevites, it certainly changed his behavior before God. Continuing on verse 3, it says, Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now get this. The message that Jonah preached to Nineveh was all of about eight words long. Let me, let me try to put this in perspective. So, Nineveh was about 550 miles from where Jonah's journey began. Okay, so if, if he went there on foot, it would have taken him probably about a month. Right? If Jonah had ridden a donkey or a camel, maybe just a little less than a month. Right? And he arrives, and the text tells us that if you were to go through Nineveh and, and presumably like this, the suburbs, it would take you three days. It would take you three days to do Nineveh right. And Nineveh gets there, and his message is eight words long. And get this, if, if you're reading in Hebrew, it's only five words long. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I could be down with an eight-word sermon. That would be great. Our 11-second sermon, sign me up. We'd definitely be the Baptist to Cracker Barrel that way. Now, maybe, now, here's the deal. Maybe, you know, there was more said than what we have recorded, but I don't want you to miss this, okay? Even with all the complexity of the great city of Nineveh, the word of the Lord is still simple. Repent or face the music. Change course or suffer the consequences. Repent or face the music, change course, or suffer the consequences. Too often I think that we believe 
that we have to have beautiful words or we have to have fine-sounding arguments to represent God well. But the simple truth is, the will of God will never lead you where the Spirit of God cannot work through you. Writing to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and what? And him crucified. I didn't pretend to be more than I was. I just showed up and I I talked about Jesus. And I talked about Jesus on the cross for your sins and for mine. For his followers, Jesus promised, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Fact is, Jonah didn't have to preach some marvelous message. He just needed to faithfully deliver the message that God gave him. And i got to believe the same is true for you and me. Far too many followers of Jesus cop out and they flake out. And they'll use excuses like, well, I don't know enough. I'm not a Bible scholar. I'm not a theologian. I don't know enough. You just got to be faithful to the word of the Lord. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, don't let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So when we read in the scriptures that someone puts on sackcloth or they cover their head with ashes or they they tear their robes, This is a sign of remorse and grief and humility. You see, sackcloth is what poor slaves wore. And to have an entire city full of people running around in sackcloth was a bold declaration that they were in great need. And verse 7 describes how seriously the king and his nobles viewed their situation. I don't know, maybe you've heard stories about politicians and, and Hollywood actors and like how expensive their lifestyles can be, right? You got these, I remember there's a politician, he got like a $600 haircut. And I remember thinking, gosh, I just wish I had enough hair to go get a haircut. It'd be great. Uh, $600 for a haircut. Are you hear how expensive these suits are? That's a $1,000 suit or that's a $2,500 suit. And I'm thinking, holy cannoli. Can you imagine the most wealthy and influential people in a country putting on like potato sacks and going and sitting in the dirt because the conviction on their hearts was so great. 
The king, the nobles, and and the Ninevites were so wrecked by their sin and so convicted about their behavior that they went so far as to keep the animals from enjoying good things. They, the, the king, the nobles, the people, and even the animals were all unified in genuine contrition. The king's decree makes it perfectly clear that there had to be complete repentance in the city of Nineveh. Now notice the overarching picture. God calls Jonah. Jonah obeys. And now the Ninevites are calling on God. What this tells us is God is not just the God of second chances for people like Jonah. God is the God of second chances for the people of Nineveh as well, for, for, for people like the Ninevites too. Verse 10, it says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Now this can't be over looked or overstated, that God saw their actions and relented. God saw the actions of the Ninevites and he changed his mind. Put another way, had the people of Nineveh not acted as they did, they would not have been saved from God's wrath. Their faith, remember what it said in verse 5, they believed God. Their faith coupled with their actions, coupled with their response, saved them from destruction. And Jesus' brother, James, he hits the the nail on the head in James chapter 2 when he says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works? And by works, faith was made perfect. So what we see in the Ninevites is they believed God. They had faith. But they didn't stop there. They coupled it with action. They responded obediently. I want to wrap things up this morning with a quote from a guy named A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer was born into poverty in Pennsylvania in 1897. He didn't finish high school. He didn't go to college or seminary. And yet somehow he managed to become one of the most influential preachers and teachers and authors of the entire last century. It was said of Tozer that what he heard from God through study and prayer He spoke to men through books and sermons. And it's really interesting. He he observed this. He said, have you noticed how much praying for revival has been going on of late? I mean, they were praying for revival back in Tozer's day. And I feel like there's a lot of people praying for revival today. He says, have you noticed how many people are praying for revival of late? And how little revival has, has resulted? I believe the problem is that we've been trying to substitute praying for obeying, and it simply will not work. Maybe you, like so many others, 
have been hoping, waiting, wanting, wishing, dreaming, maybe even praying that the brokenness that you see in the world around you would be addressed, be fixed, be made right, that, that people would turn their faces to the Lord. Yet I would simply ask you today, does your obeying align with your praying? Has God ordained hard conversations for you that you've been ignoring? Has God set clear boundaries for you and you've just tuned him out? Has Jesus modeled a holy lifestyle for you to imitate and you've closed your eyes as tightly as you can? Does your obeying align with your praying. Jonah had his come to Jesus moment in chapter 2, and we talked about it last week. This week we see that he responded in obedience. The Ninevites heard the word of the Lord, and their faith in God's message, coupled with their actions, saved them from calamity. Does your obeying align with with your praying. Is today the day that you need to step out of your comfort zone and out of those safe places that you've perhaps built for yourself and follow the word of the Lord? If you failed, remember God is a God of second chances. He's a good father and like all good dads, he pursues us when we wander. He doesn't need anything and yet he wants a relationship with you, and he wants a relationship with me. But, perhaps, Jonah's message to the Ninevites in Jonah chapter 3 is God's message for you today. Repent, or face the music. Change course, or suffer the consequences. It's not God's desire that any should perish, but the ball is in our court. If you need to repent of your sins and be baptized and start following Jesus with all of yourself rather than just a little part of it, that invitation is open to you today. If you need encouragement, or guidance, or prayer. There are going to be folks in the back who would love to spend some time praying with you about what's going on in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God of second chances. We absolutely need them. We need fourth and fifth and sixth chances a lot of times. And so we just thank you that you love us enough to pursue us even before we ever turn our faces towards you. And right now, Father, if there are folks in this room who are far from you and, and you're, you're speaking to their hearts, I pray that you'll open their ears. That if they're running from you, that they'll stop and turn and see that you care about them more than they can fathom. God, thank you for being a good God, for loving us, for sacrificing your one and only son so that we might have real 
lasting life. We love you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.